Parenting Radio. <laughs> Avid Company. They're awesome. I know. This is Kathy Adams, and and you are. Todd Adams. And Todd's a little annoyed at me because we've had to start over with taping the show a few times. Right. Um, and we've just had to do that because I'm being difficult today. A little bit. And so, Todd, we got to... So, I'm trying to make Todd laugh a little bit because he's frustrated with me right now. Not yet, but maybe I'll laugh. What, not yet? That you're not frustrated? No, I'm frustrated, but you haven't got me to laugh yet. Okay, what if I tickle you? Um, I'm not ticklish. Oh, okay. What if I do that? It's not going to help. Okay. Well, anyway, today we're going to talk about what's normal. So, you Zen parenting parents, that being me and you, we actually get annoyed at each other. Yes, it happens. I'm not buying it. Well, and I take responsibility for the fact that what I, the, the, all the starting over we have to do. directly based on your reaction to my actions. Well, yeah, because we are sharing this show, mm-hmm. and I feel that what you say also reflects on what I, you know, what I do. So I think we have to be thoughtful about what is meaningful to each other. And people don't care about this. Nobody has any idea what we're talking okay. about right now. But anyway, the point we is... We did a is, show and I said things that you didn't feel comfortable with. I didn't. And we're talking today about what is normal if you for could, kids. If you guys could hear the first take of that show, <laughs> it would have been awesome. I mean, Pulitzer Prize winning podcast. You know what? This is going to be just as good. Okay. It is. And... Um, can I say again what we're going to talk about? It'll be the third time. What is normal? Are you normal? I am very normal. Am I normal? Normal as normal can be. <laughs> well, and I think that, but are we different? Yes. Okay. So this definition of normal or the word that I like to use, which is typical, is really broad. Mm-hmm. And I think that what a lot of parents do is they think that there is only one kind of normal and if my child is not a certain way or if my child does this or doesn't do this they are not normal right they are not typical end of story and i think my motivation for doing this show and i'm assuming it's the same for you is to broaden that definition of what typical mm-hmm. or normal is right and so parents don't freak out because you and i have done a lot of classes in the Chicagoland area, um, Zen parenting classes. And I think the thing that is most common is parents are just looking for, is my kid normal? Mm -hmm. Or am I normal as a parent? Like sometimes when I do give a presentation, I'll say something like, oh, I, I don't really love getting on the floor and playing with toys. And people will say, oh, that's so, you know, oh, thank goodness. That's so validating. Or I'm so glad you said that because I don't either. So people are always searching for what's normal. Right. They don't want to be on the outside looking in. Exactly. They don't want to be different. And as long as they can um, relate to somebody or as long as their children can relate to somebody, then that sense of normalcy gives them a sense of comfort. Well, it makes them feel like they belong, right? Right. Because nobody wants to have, um, they don't, no one wants to be different. Everyone wants to blend in. And they want their children to blend in, right. which really, this I write about this in my book a lot, right. blending in isn't always the greatest thing. Right. Sometimes it's nice to have some differences, some eccentricities, some, you know, some things uh, to call our own, but we usually don't start searching for those till we get older. Well, and I think in your, and we're getting a little off subject here, but in your teenage years, at least in my teenage years, I was trying to fit in to the best I can. And I think in my 20s, that's when I started not caring as much about what everybody else did and mm-hmm. said and thought and all that. So, 
um, yeah, it's. I, I think it's just a, a very natural part of childhood, and probably even us as parents are trying to just kind of fit in. Well, and that's pretty good that you say that in the twenties you started to not care because I think a lot of people care a ton mm-hmm. in their twenties, and so maybe it's different for men than it is for women. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the older I've gotten, I've definitely seen a shift in being much more invested in what makes me feel good rather than making sure everybody else is comfortable with me. Um, But I know it's a work in progress Mm -hmm. because I still have days where, or moments or, you know, the fact that I wouldn't let the first show go, you know, where I am invested in what other people are thinking. And I think there's a healthy balance Mm -hmm. in there. I don't think we can go through life saying it's all about me, Mm -hmm. you know, and forget what you think. But I think as we get older, we start to let go of some of those concerns. And I think, you know, on the other side, side, Todd, children, when they're children, when they're young, they don't care. Right. They're just being themselves. Right. And a lot of times we as parents start to... Um, what's the word? Um, I can't come up with the word that I'm trying to... Describe so I can Well, help. they're just trying to get... Children are, are taught to be a chameleon, just kind of blend in right. with... Be like everybody else. Be like everybody else. And I don't know how they get that. I'm sure us parents screw them up to the point where Well, we tell them the things that they're saying or doing aren't right. Mm -hmm. Or we say that's not okay. And it's safer to be a chameleon, right? Oh, for sure. My my college story is that I have a friend named Dave Schmidt. And in my when I was 18 and 19 and like freshman and sophomore, he had these big, long sideburns. I remember. And nobody else had long sideburns. No. And Dave is kind of, uh, Dave, if you're listening, you know you're kind of an eccentric young man. And then 90210 became like a big deal. And then all the guys started having sideburns. What were their names on 90210? Brandon, Brandon and Dylan. And Dylan. How, you knew that before me. I've never watched a single episode yes, of that you show. Have. Really? Oh, I swear no. to God. And Kelly, Brenda. But as soon as um, it started becoming in vogue, he chopped them off. Well, because it took away his individuality, his individuality. Yeah. you know, it's like, uh-oh, yeah. now everyone's going to start to, and girls do that with haircuts, right. like the whole, you know, everyone gets the same haircut that when I was in my twenties, the Rachel haircut was so huge and everyone had these layers, these choppy layers. And, you know, we all copy each other and we all want to look like each other. And, but what makes life fun is figuring out what makes you feel good rather than looking like everybody else or being like everybody else. And I think children do that very naturally. But then because of our own issues and our own lack of self-awareness or what makes us feel good and different, we kind of, what's the word, we push that down in our kids. It makes us uncomfortable. We screw them up. We screw them up a little bit. And, And sometimes it's the way they dress or the way they talk or the way they act. And sometimes it's, and this is what we're going to get to, is we may have children who are sensitive, who are more emotional. Right. We may have children who are more shy. We may have children um, who are, you know, they have different needs. They they may get up in the middle of the night. They may need more support in the middle of the night. They may have certain things that they need, but we don't deem it normal. So we say they're not okay. So um, can we talk about our kids for a second? Sure, please. So um, when JC was younger, she didn't come crawling into her bed very often. No. And so we kind of thought that as the norm. And then Cameron decided that she was going to start doing it all the time. And (laughs) I don't know. So I guess I'm trying to say that in such a way that if we would have just let saying, hey, Cameron, this isn't normal. JC didn't do this, so you can't do it. Instead, we kind of allowed each kid to kind of figure out what worked for them. And Cameron's one of those kids who 
when they're young, they, they she likes to crawl into bed with us. Well, it's not that and big I think of a deal. one thing you and I figured out is that, um, and again, we are making this assumption. We don't know it for fact, but we tried to get kind of deep about it. And Cameron during the day probably asks for less attention right. than the other two, just in kind of the way she moves through the world. Right. And so we were thinking maybe at night mm-hmm. is when she maybe needs to be by us. Right. Is when she realizes I didn't absorb really what I wanted from right. mom and dad today because maybe my older sister and my younger sister needed a little more. So I'm going to go sleep in between them and get what I needed. That's what we assume. Right. And so we don't make a big deal about it because she's. We're hoping she's getting what she's need. What she needs. Right. That right. and if the other kids needed that, fine. I mean, definitely JC comes in every great once in a while when she doesn't feel good, and mm-hmm. Skyler's been coming in in the morning. And you know, we're just talking about sleep. This right. can relate to a lot of different issues, but I feel that my kids are pretty smart people, mm-hmm. and I don't mean IQ smart. Mm-hmm. I mean emotionally smart, intuitively, intuitively know, know what know. they need. And guess what? I think your kids are too. And I'm not talking to Todd. I'm talking to you out there. I think kids are very in touch with themselves and they know what they need. Well, and it's like Skylar's. We moved Skylar into the bedroom with Jason and Cameron and we thought that was like a really big special deal. So then all three of them are sleeping in the same bedroom. Right. And now randomly Skylar just decides to sleep in her old bedroom. Yeah. And She'll I, say, I want to sleep in the play. We call it the playroom now. I think that that's hilarious. Like, I would always, I think if I were in her position, I'd always want to kind of be with other people. But this might be the seed of her wanting kind of to do her own thing. And it goes back and forth. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, and you know what's so great, Todd, about what you just said, is you said, if I was her, mm-hmm. this is what I would want. And as parents, that's what we do all the time. Here's what I want, kid. So you should want that too. Right. We put what we think is important, like in my first book, remember? Disney plans, that article I wrote, we took the girls to Disney World and we were so excited that they'd want to go on these rides and our oldest daughter didn't want to go on any of them. And we struggled. I struggled. I said, listen, we we didn't come to Florida to not go on Pirates of the Caribbean. You came all this way. Don't pull that. You're going to be scared on it. That's what I said in the moment. And then I took a step back, did a little breathing and then let it go. And really, just to, you know, because what you and just she said. she did not go on the ride. No, she didn't. We let go eventually. Right. But what you just said about we didn't come all the way here to not go on Pirates of the Caribbean, I would replace that with you didn't. Right. Meaning you take, meaning Todd, you take responsibility that you want to go on that, but we don't need to force our children to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, if you were Skylar, you'd want to be in there with your sisters. Mm-hmm. Well, she doesn't. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, sometimes we have to let go a little bit, stand back and let them do what feels natural to them. Well, and this is. Um, one more tangent and then we'll try to get back to what we were talking about. My biggest struggle is, and even when I talk to other dads, my biggest struggle is knowing the difference between when to maybe nudge your kid in a certain direction or when to not nudge him and allow him to completely be there. Like, you know, I I always bring up the pool and like jumping off the diving board. Like I remember stories when I was a little kid, my dad would kind of nudge me off the diving board. I mean, it sounds horrible, and that's more of a metaphor, but mm-hmm. he kind of pushed me in a certain direction, and then I liked I liked it. Right. And if it hadn't been for that nudge, I wouldn't have realized that I liked it, and I wouldn't have done it again. And your response to that is? Well, you are making this assumption. If my dad hadn't pushed me off in that moment, I would have never liked the diving board. Mm-hmm. Two days later, you could have been internally motivated right. to do it on your own. Right. And, and not to say, it's not a right or wrong, like your dad is bad or that experience was bad. But you are making this assumption that because he did that, you like it and it's all because of him. Right. You may have liked it 
a month later, Regardless, a year later. Right. That's true. And like, for example, this summer, we live across the street from the pool, which mm-hmm. is so awesome. And JC started going off the diving board last summer. When Cameron all of a sudden has decided on her own, she's going to do it. We didn't even talk about it. I haven't talked to her about the diving board. I haven't talked to her about swimming without a safety belt on. Um, she learned it from her peer. From her friend Lizzie. Her friend Lizzie ta- said, hey, yeah. this is how you swim by yourself without your belt and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, obviously she was closely watched, but same as the diving board. She did it without even having us watch her do it. And she was completely intrinsically motivated. Mm-hmm. We didn't have to say a word. You know, this is kind of how potty training goes, too. You know, you're, a lot of parents are a freak with their first child with potty training. Like, it's got to be this day and this time, and they've got to learn it. And then when other kids come along, if you have more... They tend to do it on their own, and we let go because we already know kids will do it when they're ready. Yes. And so, again, it gets going back to this what's normal. Mm -hmm. We, as parents, we get into our head about what we think is normal, and we force our kids to do things based on those assumptions Mm -hmm. when really, if we can stand back, our kids have their own set of what's normal for them. Well, and... um... I was on one of the Facebook website, like Dr. Sears or something, and a lot of people, a lot of uh, moms are are on there kind of putting up their own questions, and their question was like, oh, my two-and-a-half-year-old won't go potty, but he won't, but he'll go poop, or he'll go poop, and he mm-hmm. won't go potty, or something like that, and like they're all, you can kind of feel the energy in their entry that they're just kind of wigging out about they're it. They're anxious. And because I'm the father of three, and I've been through this, my advice to the, to that mom is, who cares? <laughs> Why do you care? Yeah. Like, and she prob- and this mom probably thought, oh, my kid has to be trained by the by the time they're two and a half because maybe because then she's not a good mom, right? Or maybe that's when their cousin exactly or their niece or something like that. Or the school says you have to have them potty trained to get in here, and yeah. we think they have to be in school by yeah. two and a half. Yeah, who cares? Yeah, let it go and use that same story for everything else that goes on is just kind of step back and let go and we struggle with jc with the potty training with the potty for training. sure and then um, we never struggle with camera scatter because i don't know do we just stop caring I or didn't what even, i mean i don't want to say i didn't think about it i was like excited to be done with diapers but they just decided to do it and mm-hmm. i think and it's the same thing with walking mm-hmm. you know some children walk at, at, at nine months and some children walk at 16 months and they're all normal and right. typical but we get so focused on there's got to be something wrong you know why because we live in a society that focuses on comparison comparison and that there's something wrong mm-hmm. that there is a problem mm-hmm. that there is something we need to worry about right. because we are thrown by the news by the media by magazines by everything there is a problem fix it right. and a lot of times if we just accept and create and make a bigger range of what's normal and mm. typical we can just relax right. a little bit yeah we can just let things go right um let's get back on task okay onto this newsweek article newsweek article yep Okay, so the reason we wanted to do this show is because I was reading, Todd, this Newsweek article the other night, and um, he said, we have to do this on the show. We have to talk about this because it's important. And basically, it's in this week's Newsweek with Bill Clinton on the cover, and it's the article is called, um, what is it called? Mommy, Am I Really Bipolar? And bipolar, um, the diagnosis of bipolar is very in vogue and very trendy, and it has been since the mid-90s, probably around 1994 is when it started being diagnosed in children. And um, it's kind of gained momentum and it's, you know, everybody knows a child who's been either diagnosed or, you know, 
someone has thought they're bipolar. Right. It's become very in vogue. And my my history prior to um, doing what I do now, I um, am a clinician. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, and I'm a child and family therapist. And I used to work with parents and children, and often have to diagnose children, um, which I didn't love that part of my job. I didn't like doing the labels and such. Sometimes it was necessary. I worked with a lot of kids who had severe emotional disturbances or behavioral disorders, and so I understood why it was necessary. But with a lot of kids, I didn't think they needed a diagnosis. I thought there was other things that could be done. So this article basically speaks to that, that this diagnosis has become so rampant that people are so fearful of it. And these children who do get diagnosed with bipolar, who are diagnosed incorrectly, are being given medications that their bodies do not need and that is not helping them but harming them. And the medication that they are taking is medication for adults. And these you know, these medications haven't been tested on children. You know, they don't, we don't really have Enough research history to be able to go back and see how it affects their brain. Exactly. And here we are giving them all these medications. And one thing for, you know, those of you who don't really understand the pharmacology world is oftentimes when a child is given a medication, if they have side effects from that medication, they're often given another medication to suppress that side, to effect. suppress that side effect. Good word. And so a lot of kids end up on two, three, four medications if they're given a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And so then you get into this world of pharmacology where you don't know what's affecting the other chicken and the egg. Is it helping? Is it not? Is it the drug? Is it? And so it becomes this vicious cycle. And bipolar is just one of those diagnoses that, that um, medications get thrown at. Right. Okay. So. Well, and then what I was going to talk about is last week on Parenting Unplugged, there yes. was an author on there that. Uh, Todd and Laura interviewed, and um, I forget her name, but you can look it up on um, the Paget Team Network or look it up on our website. And she is a doctor, and she wrote a book about um, how nutrition and food relates to the health of your child. Exactly. And um, she has had seen so many patients that um, we uh, that she had um, a, a one girl who had pretty severe behavioral disorders, and she was about to get kicked out of school. And she would um, she ended up changing. Uh, what am I trying to say? She she ended up. Um, I'm, she well, she would have been diagnosed with bipolar, hadn't she? Yes, and she, she was, was on a bunch of medications. Thank you. She was diagnosed with bipolar, whole bunch of medications, and then once this woman met with her and tried to figure everything out, they figured out that she was glucose gluten, and, gluten intolerant. Gluten intolerant. So in other words, her nutrition, the food she was eating, was directly correlating to how. It, it um, affected her behavior. So her, she, her, the food, the nutrition, was disturbing her emotional responses and her behavioral responses, her attention in mm -hmm. school. Didn't you see, you may have already said this, but she was like a great student or she couldn't focus in school. Right. And then once they took her off all these meds and changed her nutrition, right. she Got did better. great. Yeah, she, she took... A, the meds were gone, and she ended up completely turning around. Now, that doesn't mean that you change your diet, then all of a sudden all your problems go away, but it is one of the things that you can do, like what you and I have always said about doctors and medication and, and holistic, and, you know, there's all these different things. We've never said, oh, we just take pills when we get sick, or no, we just go to the chiropractor when we get sick, or no, we just eat good foods and we never take a pill. Right. It's not one or the other. It's all of the above. It's that you have all these options mm -hmm. and that there's so many things that can heal your child. Mm -hmm. And there's so many things that can help you or your child that to go straight from 
here's some some symptomatology that my child is having to I need medication is a really short and unnecessary you know that's too quick of a response right and that there's so many other things that can be done and you know just to kind of give you an idea of some of the bipolar criteria mm-hmm. and again bipolar by diagnosis in the DSM-4 which is the diagnostic tool that clinicians use to diagnose people it is the the DSM-4 is based on adults and we are using this diagnostic criteria to to now diagnose children with mm-hmm. bipolar, so it's not even updated. Mm-hmm. Which they're trying to update it, but again, it, it's not—it's not a direct—it's not a good connection. Well, and, and, and before you get into it, the yeah. one thing I would say, as far as how we parent, and we've been blessed with three girls that appear to have no significant behavioral disorders. Right. I mean, they're all pretty. Typical, typical kids right but if let's say one of them did have that i would hope that you and i would be the type of parents to start looking at our kids diet yes to start looking at alternate ways of addressing this yeah. before we stick a pill in their mouth exactly and um not to say we would never do that but i think we would try to do everything else before we did that that would be one of those final steps yes where and i always think about you know some of the children i used to work with when i was doing therapy with parents was um, you know, if children were homicidal, mm-hmm. suicidal, severe aggression, you know, that kind of situation, you've got a different situation there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Those are children who may need medication to survive in this society or a child who's so inattentive, who so obviously has something like ADHD who cannot focus. And I don't mean just every once in a while. And I mean, really some, some serious issues. Okay. I understand, but there are so many uh, there's so many other reasons that those kind of things can be happening that you can focus on first, right. and then if that's necessary, that can be a what the final, you know, the leg, last straw, the, last straw, the right. final leg. So just to kind of give you guys some of the criteria that is being used to diagnose kids with bipolar. So you're reading this out of the Newsweek I am reading article. this out of the Newsweek article, and the Newsweek article, um, Dr. Kaplan, he's a child psychiatrist um, who's at Penn State, and he is fighting this. He, he actually wrote a book called Your Child Does Not Have Bipolar because he's thinking, he believes that the diagnosis is so, has become so rampant and it is not being children are not being diagnosed incorrectly or they are not did i say that right they are not being Being diagnosed diagnosed correctly correctly. and here's some of the things that people come in with so a child has irritability Mm -hmm. okay so most children kids irritable odds are it's bipolar they could be bipolar um, excessive talking oh boy so now we have two all three of our kids have bipolar (laughs) A decreased need for sleep, which basically means they could wake up a lot in the middle of the night. Uh, there or, goes Cameron. <laughs> um, elated and silly. Oh, boy. No doubt our kids are completely bipolar. Well, and that's the thing is like, you know, children, most children are elated and silly most of the time. That's under normal development. Um, grandiosity, which for those of you who don't know what grandiosity, you know, just to be grandiose. In adults, uh, someone who's grandiose in, in adulthood, it's kind of obvious that something's off. Like they kind of think they're the center of the universe and that they're extreme. Charlie Sheen, mm-hmm. grandiose. Right. Okay, good example. Because he does indeed, or so they say he has bipolar. You know, it's this crazy like manic, you know, mm-hmm. grand grandiosity in children it's kind of normal right. to be a little grandiose i don't want to meet a kid who isn't grandiose i know because they think the world revolves around them because in that in, in that stage of development you know more, more about this than i do it's it's there's something wrong unless the kid 
thinks that they are the center of their universe. Exactly. And then um, the last one is, this is just, there are some check sheets that some doctors and hospitals use to figure out if bipolar is the diagnosis. And on some of the check sheets, not on all, being very intuitive and very creative mm -hmm. can be one of the things that that le that leans toward bipolar. Right. And you know that's what makes me so sad is that these things in our children that are so natural, like creativity and being intuitive and being you know grandiose and mm -hmm. being you know exuberant and and big and bold somehow means that that, that they, they may have an illness. Right. It's crazy. It's crazy. And you know through your hospital experience, through talking to you, um, it was. In most cases, I don't want to say in most cases, but there was a lot of cases where these parents didn't have the tools. They didn't yeah. know any better. Yeah. So they go to a doctor and the doctor is going to give them a pill because, you know, I mean, I mean I'm sure that there's a lot of doctors out there that will try to seek other means before they start um, giving them Yeah, there's some doctors out there who are balanced, there's yeah. One, I'm sure there's a ton of wonderful doctors out there, but there's pro probably also, it's like you go to a use car salesmen, ask them if you need a used car, of course they're going to say exactly. yes. I feel like there's a lot of doctors out there saying, well, we'll just throw a pill at the problem and it'll be fixed. So right. the pro the issue that I see is in, in most of these cases, the parents are the ones who screw these kids up. So now it's up to us to get the tools, to get the resources, to know better. And unfortunately, most of our audience are the people that really don't need to be listening to it. <laughs> the people that need to hear this are the people that don't want to hear it right. because they're too busy doing other right. things. And you know what's so sad is, you know, you were talking about something you heard um, on Parenting Unplugged, and I was listening to Dr. Oz today on the way home, and he had on somebody who uh, is from Australia and who's a doctor in Australia who um, diagnoses celiac disease a lot, which is a gluten intolerance, right. which is the same thing. It's like where your body can't handle gluten. And in in Australia, it's diagnosed all the time. In Finland, it's diagnosed all the time. In all these other countries, it's diagnosed all the time. But in the United States, it's not. And why is that? Well, and he did some research to kind of figure it out. And what he found was that there's no pill for celiac disease. So pharmacology, what a lot of people call big farm, um, because it's these medical companies that create these pills, um, they don't have a pill to throw at it because it's really just a nutritional solution. You just have to change your diet. And so... The, peop the things that get out there in the marketplace where people know about them, things like depression, bipolar, are things that that big pharmacology is promoting mm -hmm. and saying, here here's what it is, and here's our pill for it. It's a money-making operation. Whenever something doesn't make sense, follow the money, and you'll you, understand why. Why why there are all these quote-unquote solutions right. to the problem. Right. When, you know, Todd and I, I think we can both say that we're thankful that medication is out there for people who really need it, because there are people who need it to function. Mm -hmm. But for the, the child who's just being grandiose, talking a lot, maybe can't pay attention sometimes, or may have, may have a completely you know, different thing going on, something at home, who is being fed with medication because other things haven't been tried, I struggle with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I think the only message that I really ho I'm hoping to communicate with the parents out there is before you put your kid on a lot of heavy medication, try to do everything else before you do that. I mean, really, that's that's the last step that 
if it were me, that's what I would do. And to take it a step back, if you are with a doctor who is giving you a diagnosis that doesn't seem to make sense in your mind, find another I mean, doctor. Find another doctor. Get another opinion. Mm-hmm. Like if you're like, okay, that doesn't fit. That doesn't make sense here. That doesn't make sense there. Um, then seek another opinion. And I would like to hear because I'm sure there's plenty of people listening that have had these experiences. Yeah. And I would love to hear any comments. Post it on our Facebook or email us at comments at zenparentingradio.com because. I haven't really been through this, so I don't know. I'm kind of talking out of my butt, but I'm just trying to... We have people in our life who have. Yes, that's true. And professionally, I've had plenty of people that I've worked with who have struggled with this, so we know it's out there. Right. Um, Let's transition to your book real quick. Okay. We want to talk about a specific chapter. chapter In my new book, yeah. Your new book, um, chapter four, and the name of the chapter is called... It's called Release. And what is this about? Well, I think it kind of lends to what we're talking about today because in this chapter of the book, it's about my daughter, um, my middle daughter who has an emotional experience after a... uh, sticker rips and she kind of flips out and gets really upset and really is having a tantrum almost Mm -hmm. and I end up sitting with her and allowing her to release what she's feeling because I think a lot of parents would say well it's you shouldn't be crying that sticker ripped it's no big deal why are you upset but she's not just crying because of the sticker she's crying because of probably other things that have happened during that week maybe disappointments she experienced it's a buildup it's a buildup of emotion that she finally got out and the sticker was the last straw and I think that that it the article kind of you know I want you to read it um, in in my book and kind of get the whole thing but basically I think it lends to this that sometimes what we deem as not normal is just because we assume that we know what's going on and we don't right you're looking at one small instance of somebody ripping a sticker which really doesn't have any significance and what you don't see is the amount of stuff that built up to to that point and as adults we can understand that right the when our spouse says something we snap at them Mm -hmm. it has nothing to do with what they said it was what happened 10 minutes before that or what happened all week or what they said last week so just check out my book so where can you get your book uh, com, or you can go to zenparentingradio.com mm-hmm. and find there's a products area. Or if, if you want to spend more money, you can buy it off Amazon. You can buy it off Amazon, but you, I won't sign it because it doesn't go through me. You know. Um, last, real quick, Square One Organics. She's a friend of ours, Denise Henderson, and she supplies and manufactures organic baby food. And we, I met the lady. She knows what she's doing. She's very good at what she does. Um, check her out, Square One Organics. SquareOneOrganics.com. And she's our parenting resource of the week, basically. We've been trying to kind of, you know, talk about people we think are doing great things. And she, you know, it's it's her business. She created it. She's from Chicago, which is our homeland. Mm-hmm. So we just wanted to give her a shout out. And she's also on Facebook. So check out Square One Organics on Facebook. Two last things. Avid Company, painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. Give them a call, 630-956-1800. Last but not least is my movie line. My movie line is... Stupid is, stupid does, Mr. Blow. So this is Todd Adams saying have a good one. And this is Kathy Adams. See you next time. Bye-bye. Bye.